The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip episode 70 be your middle infield review we already did second base and shortstop probably over a month ago now so it's time to kind of review with all the moves that have taken place some ADP move, uh, shifters we should say and uh, some great listener questions as always you can check me out on Twitter at BDintric and the Bat Flip portion of the podcast on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy Toby how we doing my friend we're doing great Bubba it is Friday night you know, and the mood is right for some fantasy baseball talk. Yes. You know, uh, switching it up a little bit. I appreciate your flexibility. Wasn't feeling great um, on Tuesday evening, but I'm really excited to hop in. We're getting, we're inching closer to fantasy baseball season, which is always exciting. And I think even more exciting, it seems weird to say, is spring training. Mm-hmm. You know, like the fact that we are actually going to get to see some baseball happen beforehand. And maybe who knows, who knows how information is going to be shared, but. Maybe we'll get some velocity readings. 
maybe we'll get some, you know, enough like competitive plate appearances to see some things from guys, see some lineups. Very exciting and thrilling stuff for sure. How are you doing? I am good. I am good. It's Friday night, like you said, and it's a. Uh, it is fun to have spring training coming up. I was talking to Greg Jewett yesterday, and I said it's pretty cool because like Brandon Nemo shows up to the Mets spring training facility. He's the first player to show up, and they sit there and they interview him on a video, and they ask him questions of what he did in the offseason. And I'm like, we didn't get any of this last year. We got none of this. Like, this is amazing. And you, you listen to um, the the 15 I, – I, I'm butchering the title of the Al Melchior's podcast. Fantasy, Fantasy 15. Fantasy 15. Baseball 15. They've been, they've been doing those, those team previews with the beat writer, and those beat writers are already telling us more stuff than we knew last year like on like positional matchups and stuff and how it, how they're approaching it in the spring. And I'm like, this is going to help a lot. This is going to be great. Let's, let's do it. So um, yeah, optimism is key right now. And looks like uh, pitchers and catchers will report next week and uh, have some games here in a couple weeks and have the season in about six weeks. So <laughs> we're just, we're right around the corner. I know. Yeah. It's this interesting place in drafting where before there was so much speculation and now the speculation is kind of, not ending, but guys are signing. You're starting to see that. You're starting to see not necessarily the recency bias, but like the, you know, we know where this guy is going to be. And so there's a little bit of excitement. So maybe they're pushed up a little bit further than maybe even they should be. Um, and then we're going to actually start getting that data though. Cause I feel like that's the real actionable stuff. Not that you should take a lot out of spring training in and of itself, but things like those velocity readings are so key or, hearing the beat writers talk about how a pitcher, a pitcher's velocity is up or that they're sitting a little bit higher than maybe we had readings on them from last year. Those I think are the actionable things or, you know, no more conjecture. Maybe there's, there's always going to be conjecture, but where is Mondesi going to bat in the lineup now with Benintendi? Do we see him in, in those spring training lineups towards the front end of the lineup? Do we see him in the back end of the lineup? Not that that gives us any certainty, but maybe it inches us a little bit closer on that probability continuum uh, closer to, to a hundred percent feeling that we won't, we won't get until opening day, but we can at least feel um, better about. Yeah. No doubt about it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to just having some baseball to watch on TV. I don't give a spring training or not. So that'll be fun as well. So we're, we're right around the corner. And like I said, at the beginning, we're going to do our middle infield recap. We'll do second base. We'll do shortstop tomorrow last week with first base and third base kind of go over some uh, ADP battles, some could say, or some changes, as there have been moves since we last talked, which uh, have uh, changed things. There's a certain second baseman we'll talk about here in a little bit that made a move to Milwaukee that uh, will be a fun discussion topic. But uh, we'll start with uh, DJ LeMahieu. He returned to the Yankees. And when we reviewed, like, first base and second base and every other position, it felt like because DJ LeMahieu has eligibility everywhere, first, second, third. We kept saying, yeah, he's a great player. It's cool. We don't know where he's going to play. It's still really early in draft. Now, I know when you're taking your, your pitch in, you're like, DJ LeMay is pretty much ever on the table for you, most more often than not, at pick 32. Um, I'm, I'm using ADP draft champions from January 22nd, so like the last three weeks. He's done 28 drafts completed. And DJ LeMay, who's gone as high as pick 21, as low as pick 46. To me, it's still too rich for my blood. But if you want to play the position eligibility, I get it. He's back in a place where he thrived. What say you? Is this still way too expensive for you? Yeah, I think at his current ADP, it's probably a little bit expensive. I can definitely understand it a lot more 
Uh, I can definitely understand it a lot more now. I mean, now that we have the certainty that he's in Yankee Stadium, we know that the power is going to play up a little bit more. On the preview podcast, we talked about how much that power plays up at Yankee Stadium versus on the road. I mean, pretty much two to one, I, I think, if I remember correctly, in terms of home runs at Yankee Stadium versus on the road. So that's really nice to have. The speed is going to be limited. The average is obviously, I think, going to be there for a guy who sprays the ball to all fields and particularly to right field. Not really concerned about that. So I think for me, at his ADP at 32, I'm not sure that I'm going there, really. Um, if he falls to that later end, right, if he falls to the 3-4 turn, I can definitely justify it at that point in time, particularly given the position flexibility. When you look at some of the other guys that are going there that maybe I'm a little interested in, like an Alex Bregman, he also doesn't have the speed, right? And he doesn't necessarily, I mean, he has the power, you know, but the batting average is certainly not as good as LeMahieu. And so I, I can kind of see him being in the same range as those guys, the Devers guys, because I really do think that batting average is a carrying tool. And I think the key for me is that, you know, I don't feel as bad about it because the batting average is so critical within the context of the fantasy game now. While he doesn't have the speed, he does have that one elite attribute. Now, he doesn't necessarily contribute that much in RBI. I mean, he does. It's fine. But, you know, so I'm fine with him in the back end uh, of where he's going in the range that he's going. I'm probably not going for him at, at ADP of 32. But if he falls into that late 30s, low 40s range, I could see myself going after him there. Yeah, it's kind of what I was thinking because I, I mentioned his men pick 21, but his max is 46 over the last like three weeks. Now that 46 is a little more appealing. Like you said, you're now at the 3-4 turn where you might have an ace or two and you can get your second one if you don't. I'm, the next couple picks basically where you're taking them. And now it gets a little more interesting. You can lock up batting average. He's going to score a ton of runs. Should still hit for decent power now that he's going to be in Yankee Stadium. So you know, it, it does uh, spec out, like you said, but the steals aren't there. But um, not many guys are after the first, you know, 10 hitters off the board. is a gap, it feels like, until you get to some outfielders and whatnot. So it's interesting. I don't think I will have many shares of DJ, but uh, we'll see because if he – if he does fall, I'd like to have that decision. Let's put it that way. I'd like to have that decision to make. Um, another second baseman to talk about here is Kevin Biggio. And this is one where we keep saying OBP league, it's great. No doubt about it. But in a batting average league, there's there's massive question marks. He is second base, third base, outfield eligible. He's the fourth second baseman off the board right now around pick 61, as high as 47, as low as 84. But what makes this even more of a conversation than before to me is with mm. all the moves with Springer, with Simeon, you know, roster resource, not the end-all, be-all, but when we talked about Gavin Kevin Biggio last time, he was hitting towards the top of the order. Now they're projecting to be like sixth, and that could he could drop even more for all we know. So if he's not towards the top of the order, I really can't justify this, but uh, what's your takes on Biggio now that things are even more murky for his situation? Yeah, and before I, we answer that one, Bubba, I just we have a very important question in the comments section over oh. here, which is, Toby, what are your tips on having such a rugged yet refined beard? Now, I, I first of all, I want to say that Bubba as well, it, it may not be a beard, but he's got a rugged and refined goatee. So I'd love to hear your <laughs> tips at the same time. For me, I think the key uh, to maintaining this beard is uh, number one, uh, outside of jeans, and I have my, my, my dad to thank for that, um, is, you know, you know every, every day in the wash, you know, I wash it and I comb it, actually. I have a beard comb 
that I comb it with. And then every couple of days I'll put on some beard conditioner and some beard wash just to get it in there. Good, you know? Um, and then I, and then I always kind of wash it just to stimulate the follicles, just to, you know, get it really, um, thinking and, 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 and acting like the beard that I want it to be. So that is the question, uh, uh, bing bong dinger. Uh, that is a great question. And, and that's the answer to that. Uh, do you have any tips that you wanted to add there, Bubba? Or? No, you do way more than I ever would think about doing. Oh, yeah. So that's, okay, that's, that's cool. all your game right there. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> does, this doesn't just grow on trees, kiddos. Um, <laughs> so with Biggio, I think you highlighted an excellent point, which is where does he hit in the lineup? That's that's integral, right? And I think another issue, too, is the ball. You know, the deadened ball, it is. Biggio hits a lot of his home runs by pulling them down the line. So it may not necessarily impact him that much. However, he has an extremely low max exit velocity of about 104 miles per hour. Like literally him and Billy Hamilton have like the same max exit velocity. I mean, he's like, I think he's like 400, yeah. 450th or something like that out of out of 475 guys in the big leagues last year in, in Max Exibio or the last couple of years. He's really bad. He cannot hit the ball hard. Um, so he relies on pulling it. So he'll still get some home runs, but I could definitely see a, a pretty significant decrease in his home run total as a result of that. And because of his batted brawl profile, and this is the thing, everybody expects him, you know, because he makes a decent amount of contact to not have that really high, um, really low batting average, but he is a terrible BABIP machine. He pulls the ball a ton. So if he hits it on the ground, he's pulling it into the ship. And then he hits the ball in the air a lot. And so if it's not going to be a home run, which it frequently is not going to be because of the max exit below issues, uh, then that's going to result in a very low batting average. So that's all to say this just everything you've mentioned exacerbates my concerns with Biggio. Have not drafted him a single time this year. Will not draft him anywhere near where he's going right now. And that's kind of the that's the story. Yeah, he's one of those guys I just can't wrap my head around where he's going in drafts. It doesn't make sense to me. Like We talked about LeMahieu. Okay, I can see the argument for DJ. Biggio, I still I haven't been able to figure out his draft position all season. I really don't. I guess it's one of those, if he's your guy, you believe in him, you take him. I can't uh, believe in it. So it's very, very tricky there. But let's talk about three more guys that are kind of tricky, and they're all grouped around together, going from pick 71 to 78, basically. Yeah, Keston Hira, who maybe probably moving to first base now, which we talked about the other night on the Draft Champions podcast, is much more appealing to his overall profile. Brandon Lau uh, is second base outfit eligible. And he had Cattell Marte hoping for a bounce back season. So it, it's a it's a tricky spot with these three. And um, where do you stand on them? Yeah, you know, I think before Hero was going to go to me, move move to first base, I would have been Keto Marte by a long shot. I really don't have much of an interest in Lau just because of the, you know, kind of the, the the high variance profile that he has that we've talked about before. I like Marte a lot. I think last year you can really you can you can kind of say so. What I would say is 2019 was probably better than his true talent level. I think he got a little bit lucky there. And I think last year was well below it because of injuries. And so I think he's a little bit, he's not quite where he was at in 2019, but I think he's much better than he was in 2020. So high batting average, decent amount of speed, should hit for some power, you know, 20, 25 home runs. 
in the middle of that lineup playing every single day. He may also get some outfield eligibility. It sounds like he may play um, some outfield this year. So I, I like Marte a lot where he's going. I don't, I haven't drafted him a ton. I probably have maybe two or three, maybe two. Uh, I've drafted him maybe twice out of my 12 drafts, something like that. But I do like him if you're looking for that kind of batting average guy early on. Um, he's a really nice guy to have there. Shira interests me a ton because of the first ele base eligibility that he's going to get. He's obviously got second. But I think I think that that speed power profile that he has really differentiates him at first base and gives him a little bit more flexibility to, to hit closer to the bottom of his batting average. I mean, everybody has him around a 250 batting average for projections, which is fine. Like if he hits 250 and hits 30 home runs and 10 stolen bases at first base, that's absolutely incredible, right? Um, at second base, I mean, yeah, it's fine. I, I'm not, it's not as, you know, because the thing is you look at like an Altuve going 30 picks later where you're going to get a relatively similar number of home runs, uh, probably a similar amount of speed, but you're going to get the much higher batting average and probably a lot more runs hitting at the top of that Astros lineup. So I just think there's other guys there that are maybe better values. But with the, with the first base eligibility, I really like him a lot. He actually, uh, I, I was picking at pick 68 in, a, in our most recent draft, and I was actually planning to take him at 68 uh, just because I, I don't have him yet, and, and I just kind of like that first base setup. And unfortunately, he went the pick before me, so um, I didn't end up getting him, but I like him a lot. So that's how I'd rank them would be. For me right now, I'd probably go Hero 1 because of the first base eligibility, not the second base. Uh, Marte 2, 1 if we're just talking about second base eligibility. And then after that, um, uh, Lau. Yeah, no, we're, we're basically on the same page there. When we talked about Hero the other night, it just opened up a whole other kind of world for him. It was like, you know, a whole new world from Aladdin. It was, oh. it was, it was, it was, it was, yeah, I, was almost, I almost sang it, but I didn't want to have people turn off the podcast. Oh, um, yeah. It, it's such, I'm a not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Live action or cartoon. Which one do you like better? You know, I have not seen the live action. Okay. Um, Let's talk about that the, later. I've only seen the cartoon. Yeah. Okay. I have uh, seen the Lion King live I haven't action. I have seen that one live though. And, yeah. and, and the, uh, and the cartoon. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that one out. You watch Aladdin, I'll watch Lion King. We'll come back on that. Okay, um, for sure. But here, uh, yes, the fact, you know, playing first base, especially where he's getting drafted, the, like you said, the average isn't as much of a hindrance anymore, and that stolen base upside is tremendous. So it's kind of a – it's almost a Goldie-esque back in the day minus the average part. So it's kind of fun in that regard. So I, I do like that quite a bit for Hira. I love the Cattell Marte bounce back. It seems a lot of people are there, but he's still not really moving up in drafts. Like everyone, it feels like a lot of people are talking about uh, Cattell this, Cattell that, but I don't really see him moving up in drafts. So it's it's interesting to see like Cattell's highest is fifty seven, as low as one twelve. So I got no no problem with Cattell Marte. I was looking at his uh, stat cash page and his pitch leaderboard uh, when you were talking, and just a couple minor tweaks is the difference. I mean, he had that back issue last year, which could linger, which is kind of scary. But I think he's he's due for some nice positive regression. So uh, I'll go here, Marte, and Lau with you. With Lau, it's nothing against the guy, but where he's getting picked, I just can't do it. Like volatility, like you mentioned, if he was going maybe a hundred picks later, I'd I'd, I'd I'd be interested. But where he's going right there, if I'm not taking a second base when there's so many other players that I like, that give me like twenty twenty upside or another pitcher or so many different things that Brandon Lau doesn't do for me. So it's it's very tough there. 
So yeah, it's a, uh, we're pretty much on the same page on this one, but I wanted to bring that up because the Keston hero conversation we had, it makes things a lot more interesting. I think the first time we did second base, we were kind of like, there's way too many concerns there. And now it's, it's a little bit different now when you kind of shape things that way. And I didn't put it on the outline, but let's just bring up Colton Wong since we just talked about Keston Hira just for a minute, because you mentioned some, some stuff before the podcast. I've talked about him. I wrote about him for Rotoballer, really digging into his profile. He had a rough year last year, but there's so many things that were consistent. It was just a kind of a little tweak here, a little tweak there, kind of more of he was going opposite field a lot. I think that really affected him, obviously, for power and whatnot. So I think that can twi- twi- twist back. Better ballpark to hit in is very important. But more importantly, over the last three weeks, we've seen Colton Wong's ADP just start skyrocketing. His, it's still 305. But he's gone as high as 198. You're in a draft right now where he's gone even higher than that, but that's not completed, so it's not in this ADP. Mm-hmm. For me, he jumps into like the top 15-ish, almost this next comparison we're going to talk about. I could justify him there almost, but probably right behind that group to me. Where would you be going with Colton Wong like out of the overall second base landscape? Second base landscape for Colton Wong. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's a little bit difficult because I think Wong is is kind of a he's, – he's a complementary piece. He's a guy that you, for me at least, that you draft because you have a specific need. Because I think the challenge with Wong, you know, he's going to be on the Brewers, so he's in the NL. You know, if we look at him at – at what he's been able to accomplish over the last however many years, the most runs he's ever been able to score in a single season is 71. The most RBI he's been able to get to is 61. Now he hasn't played every single day, right? Because he's been platooned by the Cardinals. So is he going to play every single day in, um, you know, for the Brewers you know, that remains to be seen. I mean, he's obviously, he's excellent. Um, uh, he's excellent defensively. I'm just looking at his splits right now before he's I start be- talking. The best, the best defender over the last two years of second base by far. Best defender. But he's got a, a 79 WRC plus and a 652 OPS against lefties. And he's got a um, a 101 WRC plus against righties. So he's a... So well below league average, especially in the slugging is where it really hurts him. He's got a 341 slug against lefties. Gosh, that's got to be like what? How many home runs? 10 home runs in his career in 676 play appearances. That's a, that's a fifth of his home runs. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I think the thing is we just need to be, you know, just because he's done well in a very limited sample in – Miller Park, if that's what they are still calling it. Um, I think it's called like family something or other part. Something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, but if you look at his projections, you know, in close to 600 plate appearances, they have him, you know, anywhere from 255 to 264. Nobody has him for more than 12 home runs. Nobody has him for more than 73 runs or 55 RBI. And then the stolen base total is like 14 to 15. So for me, I mean, that's kind of like a similar profile to what you could get from like a Miguel Rojas, say, at a shortstop position, you know, at pick 350 or so, right? Um, Maybe slightly more stolen bases, but a worse batting average, similar counting stats. 
And so I think that's the thing is we think of him as like a high batting average guy, but he's never really been that. You know, we think of him as a guy who steals a ton of bases, but he's never really done that either. So that's just a long way of saying, I think he's a complimentary piece for me, a guy that I want in my middle infield, but that I don't necessarily want to rely on on a regular basis. You know, he'd probably go, it's so hard because I feel like I have no interest in these second basemen, but like I'd rather have Chris Taylor than him. Um, I'd probably rather have him than, than maybe, well, Maybe Nick Madrigal, just because I don't think you can take guys that hit like one or two home runs. But like, I'd rather have Gene Segura. I'd rather have Nick Solak. I'd rather have a lot of the guys that are that are going ahead of him still. I think he's more of a guy that maybe leaps over some of the guys we have question marks about playing time. You know, like Wait, a Jurickson Profar. Or, or like a Chris like Taylor. Well, I mean, Taylor, the thing about Taylor is, I mean, he's going to, He's going to hit like 20 home runs and steal 10 bases, isn't he? Like if he, you know, let me just, uh, do we, do we think Taylor's going to get platoon that hard? He's the Dodgers. He got platoon that, like that way last year to me. So, I mean, he had 214 plate appearances, eight home runs, three stolen bases last year. He had 414 the previous season, 12 home runs and eight stolen bases, you know? So, I mean, actually, but that's the thing is like in 414 plate appearances, he essentially put together kind of a Colton Wong-ish, you know, um, uh, contribution, you know, um, full season contribution. So I'd rather have Taylor, I think, because he's also got the position flexibility. But um, and again, I don't think Wong is somebody that you're going to want in there all the time, because if he's facing two lefties out of, you know, three over the weekend or two out of four, um, over, you know, the first part of the week, if you're playing NFBC where you, where you mix and match every two, I don't think I necessarily want him in there in that particular instance, but maybe I'm overthinking it. Well, is- the one, the one thing I'll say about Wong is his walk rates improve each of the last three years. He's hit 265 or better in three of the last four, 285, two of those four. And he's a great OBP asset, which will help in a lineup that's got Locaine, uh, Yellick, and, uh, I was actually reading it the other day. It's actually a pretty, you have, uh, Avisil Garcia and Keston Hira. So there'll be guys to drive him in. And the other thing is those projections for 130 games, I don't see him getting platooned that much because when you look at um, this last year, he played 53 games, I believe it was, out of 60, and they had that wonky doubleheader schedule. So I, I don't think that really was a platoon. The year before that, he played 148 games. Then in 2018, it was 127. He was hurt. So he wasn't really a platoon guy there. I, I think it's um, – and he's also still quite young. I think he's like 30, he's 30 years old. So I'm not, I'm, I'm okay with Wong. I think there's upside there that you like Solak. I love, but do we even know he's playing every day? That's true. Yeah. Like, I, I really don't see why they would have signed Colton Wong to not play every day. Cause I think they want that defense there, no matter how he's hitting behind heavy ground ball machines like Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. So. Hey, uh, you you make some good, some excellent points there. So I may be undervaluing him. I, I just think, yeah, it, and, and I wouldn't be shocked if he underperformed the way you were talking about. I just think there's more to him, and his OBP skills and his defense alone will keep him in the lineup. And if something clicks, I think there's a lot to like there. So I think this Brewers offense will be better too. Like you got to imagine Yellick should rebound. Like we all agree, there should be a better Yellick this year. So uh, Low Kane wasn't even there last year. 
I think there's uh, Garcia stunk last year. Like there's, they can't all be this bad again, I would imagine. So I, I'm a fan, but I understand. I wouldn't take him where he went in your current draft, but I also wouldn't take him at like 300 or something. I'd have mm-hmm. him gone before that. So, yeah. Two guys that are going right next to each other um, are Dylan Moore at pick 128 and Tommy Edmond at pick 125. Edmond, second base, third base, shortstop, outfield eligible. Moore, second base, outfield eligible. Um, it's it's interesting because Dylan Moore, everyone loves, but there's the batting average questions, but he could have a lot of power and a lot of speed. Tommy Edmonds more kind of a nice floor asset out there with a little bit of everything. What I know you're a Tommy Edmonds guy, but do you have any desire to go more over Edmonds in this scenario? Not necessarily, just because I think, you know, I just think that there's such a broad range of outcomes that you can get from Moore. Because he's not, he's not like a young part of the Mariners' future. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he's, what is he, 28, something like that. I don't think he's a part of what, like, I don't think he's a good enough player, like a baseball player, to be a part of what they want to build in the future. And so I just worry that how much of a, how much of a, how much of a um, leash do they give him necessarily? Um, I do think the speed and the power, you know, are very nice. You know the the batting average and the and the and the strikeout strikeouts are certainly a concern, but I'm more worried about over the course of a 162 game season, does he get consistent playing time? Um, does he potentially get traded? Like what what exactly uh, happens to him? Whereas with Edmund, I think I think he's the leadoff hitter. He's a switch hitter. He's going to play every day. They can move him around. He's got multi the multi position eligibility, as does more. But the third base is kind of nice with those. Um, with the stolen bases, he's got shortstop as well. He's going to be at the top of that lineup, um, I think, which is a pretty good lineup. So I prefer Edmund um, in this particular instance, um, you know, and, and I think the batting average is, I think he's got more bat. He's got a very, for me, he's got a high batting average floor, Edmund does. And I think he's got a also a high ceiling for that batting average as well. So I really like I really like him, and I think he has a little bit of power, right? Like twelve to fifteen home run um, power for Edmund. So I like him more. I kind of added this to the agenda because I was thinking about, it, and this is actually how I'm, I'm building my current roster. Is um, one guy who's gonna who goes around this area too now that we need to think about in second base is Marcus Semyon. I actually drafted Semyon as my second shortstop, but my plan is to move him into my second base slot after ten games or whatever it is that's gonna acquire him eligibility for this year because at second base, Semyon is super interesting because you're talking about a guy who hit 25 home runs a year with the A's in one of the most difficult ballparks in all of baseball. And now he's going to an improved ballpark situation with the Blue Jays. He should be hitting toward the top and playing every day in a very good lineup, very consistent skills, He's got stolen bases. So when you think about like a 260, 24 home run, 10 stolen base, except you're talking about that coming from second base instead of shortstop now, I think that really moves him up. I think I drafted him at pick 114 maybe or 127, something like that. Um, so he's a guy that I think gets a, a pretty decent boost there moving up to moving over to second base as well. So I'd go Edmund and, and Moore. I think I like Semyon better than both of them though. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Simeon, I definitely like better than both of them. When he gets that second base eligibility, that'll be tremendous. Uh, no no arguing that one because when we did our shortstop preview, we thought he was 
underappreciated in drafts uh, at shortstop. So obviously at second base, he'll take a, a nice jump there. Yeah, when it comes to Edmund and um, more for me, I go with the, the consistency. I think well, not think he hasn't even played that much. Just the, the 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 floor, like you said, the safeness of a Tommy Edmund leading off for the Cardinals with the Young and Goldie and Arenado and Carlson and Yachty, like decent lineup behind him. But he's going to run a little. He's going to hit for a good average, score a lot of runs, and that, that's kind of why I kind of wanted to compare him to Wong. I think Edmund's a little better for the overall profile, but there's a lot of similarities as well. Um, but his position flexibility is tremendous. So I, I like Edmund quite a bit there. More, I think, could be like that overall championship winner type, but he could also crush you. I, there's so much, like you said, variance with more. You look at all the different um, you know, projection sites. You listen to all these experts that talk about him, and you hear stuff from really, really bad to really, really good. It's all over the board. The consensus is really hard to find on Dylan Moore. So I, I'm not against him. I guess I'm more against the price of where he's going. I think he's an intriguing player, just not one I want to take at that point in the draft. So, mm. yeah, I, I'm with you there for sure. Yeah, more would actually be an interesting test case in, you know, kind of uh, Ariel Cohen just Yeah, uh, started... I was wondering about that, where, where that yeah. stands on his spectrum. Yeah, so, so Ariel Cohen just had a great article I highly recommend um, having it, which is essentially, you know, he's developed three new metrics for his projections. Um, there's inter, so his is a projection, his is a meta projection. So he essentially takes a variety of different projections. And instead of just averaging them, what he does is he tries to see what each projection system is good at and then places more weight in what they're good at. So let's say there's a projection system that's really good at identifying or, uh, home runs or outperforms other projection systems in terms of projecting what a player's home run total is going to be. Well, it's going to give more weight to the home runs than maybe it would to the stolen bases, which another projection system is really good at. And so the inter uh, the interprojection standard deviation, which you can get by going to fan graphs and just going to the projections and clicking on ATC, that's essentially what is the standard deviation um, between the various projections overall um, on uh, on the player, and then he has the inter um, projection. Um, uh, I, I, I can't remember what SK stands for, but it's essentially um, as he chooses which projection to use and which ones to give the most weight, whether that weighting aligns. It's the skewness. So essentially, what he's trying to identify is: are more projections lower on the player than ATC is or higher on the player than ATC is. So if it's a negative, it means that their skewness is towards the being better than the projection that ATC has. If it's a positive number, that means that it's skewed towards him, the player being worse. And then there's the interest standard deviation, which is just essentially looking at the categorical balance that a player has. So a guy like uh, Adabo Tomondosi would have a really high Intra, um, uh, intra projection standard deviation because he's so reliant on stolen bases, right? Um, whereas a guy who was a five category contributor would have a smaller one. And he did some research to show like where it may make sense within a draft to go after a guy that has a lower inter projection standard deviation versus a higher one. Like, you know, you're, you're actually earlier on in a draft, it's better that you go with maybe a, um, or like in the middle rounds of the draft, a lower inter uh, projection standard deviation 
because um, maybe the player is more consistent. Uh, whereas lower on in the lower ranges, it's better to go after a guy who maybe has a wider set of inter-projection standard deviation because it means that the guy has ceiling or projections see that a player has ceiling where maybe the other guys don't. If they have a if they have a low inter-projection standard deviation and they're ranked really poorly, it means everybody agrees that they suck, essentially. Um, and so what's interesting about Moore is, you know, I think uh, what, what Ariel was telling me is about, uh, I think it's like three, three and a half is kind of the median. So Moore's projection, inter-projection standard deviation is actually right around, I think, the median. I should actually check my my um, DM conversation with him because I asked him about this just to make sure that I'm not um, taking anybody uh, uh, for a thing. So consider anything under three is stable and over four is not. So yeah, so this, the projections are pretty, have pretty similar valuations for more, but the ATBC projection is definitely, there's more that, are, that skew towards the lower side of the projection um, than they do for, um, than they do higher on the projection. So, you know, somewhat of a, somewhat of a risk in different kind of metrics. Anyways, I hope that was somewhat intelligible in the way that I described it. And Ariel does a much better job of doing that, but it is a really interesting test to kind of look at it. And I guess for me, the question is just that at that point in a draft, do I feel better about drafting Dylan Moore and his potential 2020, recognizing that the, the floor of his batting average is pretty low, or do I feel better about going after some of the guys that we just talked about, right? Like our, a Marcus Semien and maybe not getting as much speed, but feeling a lot better about the batting average and even probably the power and the counting stats yeah. as well. And the consistent playing time, because if things go bad for more, not saying they're going to bench him, they should play him all the time. The Mariners have options, like young options to move things around. So totally, that's another thing that like, I, I don't see that being the issue. I see more of the batting average just sucking or this or that. But hey, if things go south, they have a lot of options in Seattle. Um, I think they, they'd prefer to wait like one more year, but the options are there. So Absolutely. that's uh, something to think about as well. And yeah, I need to look more at the projection things, but I've heard Ariel talk on a few other shows this, this week. I think baseball HQ was when I heard him on and it was very, very cool to see because I've always, I know Ariel uses like a, a conglomerate of the projections to make his, but he also kind of tweaks certain aspects of the rankings and the formulas, different type thing. It, it's, it's an interesting discussion and you, you know it way better than I do, but um it's cool how he does it. And that's why you're talking about how it, the different rankings might differentiate to that's why he does the ratings that he's doing because on this guy, maybe it's like an eight in the home run column over, but like it's a six in the stolen bases, the way his projection spits things out. So it, it's, it's quite interesting to see um, how it's weighted. It's really, say. I mean, it's really freaking cool. I think it's amazing because we always talk about that variance piece. Oh, this guy's got a high variance profile or whatnot, but this actually mm -hmm. quantifies that yep. for us and allows us to compare different players kind of intra-projection variance in, in a way, you know? So um, it's really cool. Yeah, definitely is. Um, Andres Jimenez went over to the Cleveland Indians in the Francisco Lindor deal. We'll talk more Lindor in a bit. But um, with Jimenez, there's so many question marks. Like there's the concept if he leads off, he's gold because – they have no reason not to play him at that point, and he can steal a ton of bases. He's second base, third base, shortstop eligible. Now there's also a ton of discussion that he starts the year in the minor leagues. And I've even heard beat reporters like on that Fantasy 15 
say that's a very good possibility. What are you doing with Andres Jimenez? Because just that slight chance that he spends time with the Miners because Cleveland is cheap, that terrifies me at pick 157. Yeah, I mean, as a, as somebody who drafted him as high as like 138, it terrifies me too. But I think the thing with him, Jimenez is when you look at his projection, and I and I should re-look at his projection just to make sure because they may have uh, updated it playing time-wise, but I'm pretty sure it's just 550 plate appearances or so. So it kind of bakes in, oh, they, they've even brought it further down. But just That's to give you a sense, about. I mean, like ATC has him – for 437 plate appearances, 258 batting average, so slightly better than league average, um, nine home runs, and 22 stolen bases, right? 56 runs and 43 RBI. Um, I, let me let me check my, my values really quickly here um, in my spreadsheet to find out what it, what it gives me for Jimenez. But, I mean, that's incredible, right? Like 22 stolen bases with a relatively balanced profile – um, in a, you know, um, in only 400 and whatever plate appearances, as I said, 437 plate appearances. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty phenomenal. And, and that's, I think what I really like about him is I see him as a really high upside guy who, even if he does end up in the minors for a significant, uh, period of time, I still think there's a huge opportunity for him to contribute. He's got the multi-position eligibility. When he is playing, there's not really a doubt, you know, from anything that I've seen that he can, you know, have at least a decent amount of power, right? Nine home runs in those 400 plus paid appearances, but 22 stolen bases in that number of plate appearances um, is absolutely fantastic, you know? So I'm looking for him. I can't seem to find him in my thing. Maybe that just means he's like, oh, here he is. So he's the 235th ranked player. So a $5.28 uh, $5. value player based on his projection. Um, so he's down there. But when that was up at 550, he was like the 130th yeah. player, right? So if it is a situation where he goes to the minors and Cleveland's trying to win, right? So I don't think they're going to keep him in the minors for the whole year. No. If he goes down to the minors and he's gone for that first month only, that's still an opportunity for 500 plate appearances, right? And in in any uh, any league that you're in, you will have the ability to have somebody else in his place while he's in the minors, which is kind of a little bit of the beauty of it as compared to like maybe an injury where you miss half a week or something like that. You'll know he's in the minors. You keep him there until he comes up and then you add him to your lineup and then you get the combination of those two players that you have in there. So I still really like him just as flexibility as, as late stolen bases, he's going to fall. And I think there may be some opportunity in that. But to play counter argument here, because I agree that I think he's a great stolen base asset. If he plays, you said as a late stolen base asset, he's picked 157. So it's not really late. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not picking the problem. at what pick 157 right now. I'm okay. Sorry. That's what, no, that's what, that's what I was curious about. My pick, uh, my pick of him in like the one thirties is, is a painful. It's a painful thing to think about. So where would he, where would he have to fall to to become a pick option? Well, I think it depends on the format a little bit for me. Like in a DC, I don't feel as great about picking him because you only have so many bench spots, you only have so many hitters. You really want to attack plate appearances. Whereas in a regular draft, 
you know, as your one guy that you kind of draft and you're willing to kind of hold on to, you know, depending on what you're hearing in spring training, I, I wouldn't mind grabbing him if he falls into the like early 200, late 100 round range, because he's also a guy that once he's playing, you can plug him in at second, short, yeah. third, middle infield, corner infield. He's the, one of those guys that when you have them on your bench, you love it because you've always got somebody that you can fill in for an injury or something like that. Yeah. My last question on him, and as I didn't think we talked this much on him, but it's it kind of <laughs> keeps it keeps leading to the next do, spot. Do you know me? Do you know? No, me that, that, I wasn't. It's Friday that. night, I, man. It's Friday night. We are going late. My my question is: so we we established that he's probably starting the year in the minors, most likely month, however long he will come up. We've established that. Now, if you do draft him, how early are you trying to find your fill in at second? Are you going screw it? I'll wait for Cesar Hernandez later or something like that just to placehold it. Totally. I mean, like, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, Cesar Hernandez would be a great guy to have him in there. Starlin Castro would be a great guy to have in there for him. There's a lot of different options. I mean, check out the the Rockies schedule and throw in a McMahon in there, you know, if they're playing at Coors a bunch. I just think there's a lot of different ways to to approach it. And um, Jonathan Scope. Yeah. Uh, is another example, right? So there's a lot of different things. Actually, Scopus would be a really cool pairing with Jimenez yeah. because power, you get the you power, get the yeah. yeah, the power in the batting average, and then you get the speed coming in to fill it in. Guys, do that. There you go. There you go. Jimenez, Scope. Problem is you need Jimenez to fall in your drafts to make it work. Just remember that. Make that happen because <laughs> that's – that's a pain right hey, now. Hey, I mean, with Scope sitting around there towards the back, maybe you guys, maybe we don't have to wait as late, guys. I mean, True. combine those projections. So let's say you get Scope for like a month and a half or two months, right? So you're talking like maybe 10 home runs and, you know, you got 30, 30 or something, 250. Yeah. And then you, you plug in Jimenez for his nine home runs and his 22 stolen bases. So you get 22 stolen bases. So you're almost 20, 19, 20. 19 yeah. home runs and 80, 80 and 250 batting average, all of a not sudden, bad. that looks pretty good. Yeah, not too shabby. Not too shabby. Bubba, I think we just I think we just figured it out. I'm going to be we drafting Andres Jimenez with my next pick in, in this draft I'm in right now. There you go. Good luck with that. Um, Thank you. The last uh, little pairing I have here, it's a little farther down, but I, I, I thought it was an interesting – actually, it's not that much farther down. I forgot he's going super high. Um, I thought it was an interesting pairing because you have Gene Segura at pick 181, second base, third base eligible. And then you have Nick Madrigal at pick 182. So they're right next to each other. You have the veteran versus the youngster. Madrigal doesn't have a lot of power, but has a really good average, could steal some bags. Segura helps a little bit of everywhere. So I was, I'm on Team Segura. I've always been on Team Segura. I'm a big Gene Segura fan. Um, are you cool with Madrigal going this high or are you Team Segura as well? I am absolutely uncool with Madrigal going this high. I don't understand it at all. I really don't think in today's game that you can have a guy that provides that literally. I mean, what's he projected for home runs wise? God, that should, this should be that fun, actually. It's, it uh, should uh, be fun. Over, under two and a half. I'm just going to say that right now. Even I'm going to go under. <laughs> yeah. I'm no, he's going to be over projection wise. He's projected for no <laughs> four home runs and 515 plate appearances. That's bad. I don't. I don't think so. I don't. How many home runs did he have in the minors? Not he had a ton. four. He had four home runs in the minors. Although they were all in 2019. Yeah. So maybe I, I just. I don't think you can have a guy that contributes that 
low of a number of home runs on your team. I think it's really, really hard. I don't have the math in front of me, but you need to have, you needed to average. So 348 is 50th, 80th percentile in a DC for home runs, 348, which breaks down to about 25 home runs per player that you need. If you only get four home runs from a guy, that means that you need 344 from 13. Um, He's a a major hindrance to your roster. 13 divided by 344 equals, did I do it wrong? I did it wrong. 344 divided by 13 equals, that means that you need to average about 26 and a half home runs per guy for the rest of your team. That includes your catchers in which you have, you know, essentially you have zero guy, one guy maybe who's projected for more than 25 home runs um, or 26 home runs for your catcher. So it just makes it really hard, I think, to build a team, especially when he's not elite in speed and he's not going to be, you know, like he's projected for 15 stolen bases. So... Yeah, yeah, no go, no go for magical for me. And the the other thing about it is, so the power is not there. The average is good and all, but it's his first full year. We really expect him to be a three thirty guy, like he was in the minors. Like, there's going to be adjustments to take place. Let's be honest. And the biggest caveat to me for a guy going at this point in the draft, he's projected, and I believe the projection here to hit ninth in that batting order. Yeah, like we know, we've seen Zimmerman and other guys document how many at bats you lose by hitting ninth. So now you're, you know, you got Cesar Hernandez. Hundreds, like 100, 150 picks later, projected to potentially lead off. I really don't see the difference in the profile a ton, minus maybe a few steals. More power, probably more runs, maybe similar average, magical, maybe a little higher. But the pick difference is crazy. Starling Castro, Jonathan Scope. You just go down the list. I, I don't understand the Nick Madrigal like attraction. I just I can't wrap my head around that one at all. So yeah, glad we had either. glad we had this talk. Um, lastly, for the second base position. We've, we've mentioned a few times now, Hernandez, Castro, Scope, anybody else uh, after pick 200-wise, so basically the 20th second baseman or later that's kind of standing out to you in drafts right now, like Mauricio Dubon's another guy that I really appreciated that people like Bloomfield and others would stop talking about mm-hmm. him. You know, he's already the National Baseball Writer of the Year. He could stop talking about him because it's just raising the price. Anybody else? Um, well, I'll bring the price down for you, Bubba. Where is he going to play? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Starling Castro, I mentioned before, again, he was a guy who was going at pick 215 last year and, you know, he got injured and never really played. Uh, and now he's going closer to pick 300, really nice batting average. He had the improved launch angle, hitting the ball in the air more. Um, you know, he's going to be in a good lineup. He's going to bat relatively high that, you know, I don't think he's going to be in the top spots, but he'll be right after some really uh, good hitters, you know, probably hitting like sixth or something like that. So I like him. You mentioned Hernandez is very interesting. Um, I think Kike Hernandez is another interesting one, you know, with the possibility of, um, a lot of playing time, you know, the batting average will be low, but he's got pretty solid skills from both like contact and, um, you know, play discipline perspective. So could get on base, um, could hit 20 plus home runs in that particular spot. 
We talked about Scope. He's another one. I do one guy that's growing a little bit on me is um, I drafted him for the first time in my last draft is uh, Luis uh, Urias mm-hmm. on um, on the Brewers. You know, he's got second, third shortstop eligibility. He's going to play for Milwaukee. He's going to hit towards the back end of the lineup, but he does have he was known coming up for his hit tool. So I had decent plate discipline, good contact. Apparently, I was reading somewhere that he had a really nice um, I think he played in the Dominican this summer and. Um, played really well, um, is really trying to maybe uh, lose a little bit of the contact for a little bit more power. So always kind of an interesting profile, especially in that ballpark, even though he's a righty. So he's a guy that maybe I'm a little bit interested in who's going after a lot of those other targets that you mentioned. Um, so yeah, those are the guys that that I'm kind of into. Um, Chad Pinder mm-hmm. is another Super. guy I think is really interesting Is he, if he would ever ever um have an opportunity to um to play every day you know 250 25 home runs you know he can crush the ball pinder can so after their after their trade today that's just one less infielder in the way so yeah i mean it's true there's quite a few places he could play um And um, what is it? What is uh Who was it that made up the name Swipe Right? Was that? It was, was Jensen, I believe. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty yeah, sure it's Jensen. Yeah. That's a great nickname. It's phenomenal. It was either him or Vlad, one of the two. Yeah, I, I, that's who I was trying to figure out who it was, him or Vlad. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you on most of those guys. If I have to add anybody else, there's a guy I found myself getting a lot late in drafts, especially drafting holes just for flexibility, like Joey Wendell. I know he's not great, but um great defensively we'll keep him on the field even projections they have him for like seven to eight homers 10 plus stolen bases hitting 260 better than nick madrigal but um like he's he's in play there as a late pick if you need late batting average there's always luis Arias. doesn't do a whole lot else for you though is the problem but he's gonna have a pretty darn phenomenal batting average um i'll save one of these other guys for shortstop when we talk there that i've been looking at and then obviously Marvin Gonzalez just signed with the Red Sox. They're going to play him, so that'll be an interesting one. And his his price is going to definitely start piping up here pretty soon. All right, let's go to the shortstop position now. Uh, let's kick it off. Lindor has gone to the Mets. We have Mondesi, who we kind of hinted at it earlier with the addition of Benintendi. Like I said on that Fantasy 15 Royals preview, there's already discussions that Mondesi slides on down to like sixth or seventh in that order. I believe roster resource even has him sliding down there. Let me pull that one up real quick because I, I, I thought I saw this last night where they have Benny hit. No, they had Benny hitting sixth. They had Mondesi hitting second. But there's discussion that could flip because of Mondesi's OB, or Benintendi's OBP. So keep an eye on that. And then Bo Bichette. And I Bo Bichette? Bo Bichette, your favorite. Bo um, Bichette? Bo Bichette. Um, so I wanted to bring it up because you got Lindor at 17, Mondesi at 20, Bichette at 23, all kind of going close to each other. And I've heard the goods and the bad arguments for all three of these. And I even heard someone say something I thought was a little too crazy for me, that Simeon's defense is so good that if Bichette has a couple of rough weeks, they'll put uh, Simeon to short and put Bichette somewhere else. I don't see that happening. But um, how do you go about these three, Lindor, Montessi, Bichette? Yeah. Um, it, it, isn't it too bad that Bo Bichette's um, dad's name is Dante and not Django? <laughs> that'd be awesome or like, <laughs> so cool. what 
like there's there's so many fets from uh yeah from star wars they could no, just have like, you'd have to be like jet jembusha I don't, I don't know I, I can't figure it out but yeah my kids are super into star wars right now by the way like yeah. super into star wars every day they pretend to be different characters in star wars generally speaking um the dark side you know nice. like kylo ren is their favorite which kylo ren is just a, a great character i think yeah. generally speaking like in just the arc of, of everything and um but yeah, like Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine. My four-year-old is Emperor Palpatine right now, and he just walks around like electrocuting people. So, um, cool. so don't judge me because my four-year-old has seen pretty much all the Star Wars. I love it. So, Big fan uh, of that. Uh, oh, God. Um, so back to your question. Uh, Lindor, super interesting. He is plummeting in drafts right now. I've seen him going back into the second, early third, and the last little bit. NLDH. Uh, not having a DH, he's going to, those RBIs are going to be hurt pretty good, uh, right behind the, the pitcher. Um, if that ends up being the case, right. Um, obviously a ballpark, uh, downswing, I still think he's going to be really good, but it's certainly something to consider. So, you know, I think you're going to see him continue to fall. There's been a lot of movement actually towards the top there. Um, you know, and now Rob Silver writes an excellent article about Mondesi you know, and, and what to expect from him. And all of a sudden he's available at pick 24 for me in my most recent draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I couldn't pass that up after starting with uh, Shane Bieber. Um, and I think Rob's article is excellent. It's on Rotowire for folks um, who have a subscription there. Um, great article, very detailed as you'd expect from Rob. You know, the one thing about Mondesi that kind of gives me hope that he still stays towards the top of the lineup you know, the first thing is he actually scores runs at a very high rate per plate appearance. So him and Whit Merrifield actually have pretty much identical 14.3% over the last three years of the time that they've gotten on base. I actually think I wanted to compare like similar sample sizes. So I think it was like the last two years for Merrifield and the last three for Mondesi, but um, they've scored runs at 14.3% of their plate appearances. League average is about 12.4%. So they're both well above league average. So while they're, while his, while Mondesi's OBP is very low, he still scores runs at an above average rate um, per plate appearance, which is essentially the purpose of the game that we're playing, right? Um, and so, and another thing about him too is they only consider stolen base opportunities when there is a uh, a, a base that's open in front of them. And I wasn't able to figure this out. If anybody knows how to find this out, how many times did Mondesi and Merrifield double steal? That's a um, great question. Second and third. Because when I Googled it, it was just showing me like news stories of it happening, but I couldn't find it on baseball reference. I didn't know where exactly to locate that. So if anybody knows, I'd be interested to figure that out because I think that's one difference with Mondesi is I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, five times a year on average that happens or even potentially more than that, right? When both he and Witt and Merrifield are on base. So that's also one thing to consider in, in, the, in the stolen base department. But I think the thing for Mondesi is if he's healthy, I think he's going to steal a ton of bases. You know, I think he's going to steal 45 to 55 bases if he's healthy and he gets to 550, 600 plate appearances. Um, he can do that batting towards the end of the lineup. I think it hurts his counting stats a lot. But generally speaking, you're less interested in those counting stance and you're more interested in him, you know, achieving those stolen bases. If you were to tell me, you know, Toby, 
you drafted Mondesi in two drafts of your 12 drafts so far right now because you wanted to have him on some of your teams this year. And I can give you a 250 batting average, 15 home runs, 50 RB, 50 stolen bases, 60 runs and 60 RBI. Would you take it? And I, right now I'd say yes. Like, absolutely. Give me that. Because, you know, part of the benefit of having Mondesi on your team is that you can build your team in a different way, right? When you have Mondesi on it, than you can otherwise. Um, you know, it's dangerous because you're relying on his speed. It doesn't mean that you ignore speed the rest of the draft, but it does allow you to be a little bit different. Like in the team that I'm drafting right now, and this was probably a mistake, I drafted JTR in the third round, which I, you know, I'll take JTR wherever any day, but I, I've drafted Salvador Perez because I really wanted at least one team with the top two catchers on it. Um, I drafted him in the, in the fifth round, so I have JTR and Perez on that team. I think that was a little bit of a mistake. I should have hit up the batting average at that point in time, like a McNeil or something. Um, but I went with uh, Salviet, uh, and I think it was pick 84 or something like that. So where I have him as like the 40th player on, on, on my valuation. So it allows you to build a different team. So anyways, that's all to say that was a long rant. Um, I, I still like Mondesi. Um, and then with, um, but you have to understand the player that he is. And then um, with Bo Bichette, I think Bo Bichette's fine. I'm still concerned about the small sample size that we have overall. My biggest concern, as you well know, is the stolen bases. He did steal and he stole successfully in the shortened season. But again, this is also two years that have been interrupted by injury. One, a soft tissue injury, the most recent one. The other one, I think, getting hit in the head and having a concussion. So, you know, just something to be mindful with. I don't, I haven't drafted him at all. I don't think he's a you know, a, a terrible value or anything like that. I just maybe am not uh, as high on him as some other people are. Yeah, he's a tricky one. I have, I love Boba Shett. I've, I've, I've preached Boba my Shett? love for Boba, yes, Boba Shett. But I, I have, I don't own him. I have not rostered him anywhere either. It's just, it's one of those, it's hard for me to stomach at that point in the draft, trying to get either my first pitcher or one of the big, big bats that I'm looking for. It's just, it hasn't been Bichette. And that's a, uh, it sucks. I almost feel like I need to do it sometime, but um, I love Mondesi. I'm with you there. The thing is with Lindor, they haven't projected it in the middle of that order. If he's hitting in the middle of that order, because Nemo, they even the interview with, with Nemo, he expects he's been told he's still leading off. Oh, so, really? They have him batting in the middle? Yeah, Ross Resource does. I thought that was weird, but then even in Nemo's interview, he said he's worked, to, he, he's worked to lead off. So it's be like him and McNeil 1-2 with Lindor hitting third. That becomes interesting again. Like oh, totally, but he, why then, is he falling but, then? But then you got to think maybe he's not stealing if he's hitting third. So I don't know. I guess mm, yeah, it's but... just weird. It's weird conundrums. But yeah, hitting third, the average, the the, the RBIs will be there. They shouldn't mm. be there. So I don't know why he's falling. I'm, my only guess it's the move to ballpark because um, everyone documented how great it is for lefties in Cleveland, which it is. It's much better than in City Field. I get it, but to me, Lindor is one of those guys that switch hitter. Uh, he doesn't seem like one of those guys like a Biggio where he's going to get hindered by the dead and ball as much as others. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, the next one that's fun is Xander Bogarts. He's getting the hype train has come up on Xander because it felt like he was the ninth or 10th shortstop when we previewed them. He's up to seventh at pick 36. You have Corey Seager at pick 39. Tim Anderson at just right behind Seager about a half pick later, according to ADP. Um, and that that's changed actually since I made this outline on Tuesday. So that that's that's fluctuated a little bit. I still have trouble buying into Corey Seager. I believe what he did was great, but 
if you want to talk injury history, this boy brings it to the table. So it, it, it concerns me a lot. Bogart's as consistent as they come. I just worry that the stolen bases stay there. And then we know we love Tim Anderson, but is this even too high for Tim Anderson? So where do you stay for these three? Yeah, these are tough ones. I had I had Bogarts and Anderson, I think, on the last podcast we did, actually. I was, like, trying to decide which one of those guys I yeah, ended up going with. And I ended up going with Bogarts just because I think of the consistency. Um, I worry a little bit with Anderson with Tony Larusa coming on board, um, you know, and just new manager. So who knows what he's going to do um, there? You know, who knows how their relationship is going to be, just given, like, what some of Larusa's comments – um, you know, in, in what in the past have been. So, I, you know, there's just like a little bit of a question mark around me, but then I look at, then I think about him and I'm like, he's had an elite batting average for two consecutive years. He's going to hit 20 plus home runs. He's actually improved his batted ball quality over the last little bit. He's going to score a crap ton of runs as long as he's anywhere in the front end of that lineup. And there's no really reason for him not to be, because even though he doesn't walk, he, he has a decent OBP because his batting average is so good, right? And then the stolen bases, I mean, he's going to be like 15 to 20 stolen bases as well. So for me, I ended up going with Bogarts just because um, he's going to have the same average, probably going to have more home runs. I think he'll have a more balanced counting stats profile with runs and RBI um, uh, as a total. And he there's still the possibility that he steals bases, right? Um, he stole some bases last year. There's still the possibility he gets you anywhere from five to 15, right, for Bogarts. So he's not necessarily getting you a zero there. So I think I have Bogarts as the number one, you know, within uh, within that particular group. I think Anderson would be a clear number two. I really see them like side by side. If I'm drafting in the mid to late uh, third round, you know, I'm really excited to get either one of those guys. Seeger, I mean, Seeger's batted ball quality was insanely good last year. I mean, insanely good. Like, you just look at everything, and it was just glorious. But StatCast data also regresses, so we've got to factor that in and try to figure out, is that going to get worse? There is a little bit of the injury history, although, you know, it really was like one season, you know, mostly, um, you know, but for me, it's just the, the total lack of speed is a little bit hard there. But, um, but I, you know, I, I could potentially see it. Um, I could potentially see it. I just, I just haven't taken, um, taken, the, taken the dive there. So that's, um, that's how I'd go. I think I'd firmly have Bogarts Anderson. I think it's just a matter of who, who you like more. They're right next to each other in terms of where I think. And then Seeger a little bit later on. Yeah, uh, it's it's real tricky with Bogarts and Anderson, like you said. Bogarts, it's that safety. It's uh, it's pretty. It's a nice cushion. He's going to hit you two ninety to three hundred, which is pretty darn sweet. It's going to hit you twenty five plus homers, most likely. Um, it's just the steals is a question, like you mentioned. He stole eight bags last year, which was up from the year before and everything. So maybe that's going in the right direction again. We'll see if that's if that's a thing for for uh, X or not. But Anderson, it's crazy because even look at the projections. And like you mentioned, people always argue, well, Babbitt's too high. I don't care. It's the ball so gosh darn hard. That's the reason it's Babbitt's so high. So he's always going to hit for a good average. Even if the Babbitt drops, he's still like a 290 hitter, which is pretty good for the power and speed he brings to the table. He's also the reason why it's hard to take Bo Bichette when you can wait a little bit longer and get uh, Anderson, who, if you look at projection sites, they're pretty much the same projection. Like, obviously, mm, that's things will change, but. They're pretty much similar, both 2020 type players. 
with uh, maybe Anderson having a better batting average. And maybe I'm not going to say the rest of that sentence because that's not true with the moves Toronto's made now. But um, they're very, very similar. Very similar. So it's just tricky, and that's why you can kind of wait and play that game if you don't get one of the top shortstops. You can get a, a Bogarts. You can get an Anderson. We talked Baez is kind of like one of the last resorts. Um, so I think I got I got Bogarts and Anderson, but depending on how my draft started out, if I need steals, I'm going to Anderson for sure. And that's uh, it won't be a tough decision for me at all. Seager, I just I can't do it. I just can't do it, and maybe it bites me in the butt again. We'll see. Mm. Um, the 10th and 11th shortstop off the board to pick 69 and 70, basically 69 and a half. Glaber Torres and Javi Baez. I've I've preached my disdain for Glaber Torres, but he's starting to come at a price now where it's like he's gone as low as 87, and he starts making me think about it. I have Javi Baez everywhere. Uh, it's a guy I seem to grab in a lot of drafts. So how do you go about these two? Yeah, I like them both. They're both kind of guy, guys that I'm 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 kind of if they fall a little bit, then I'm very interested in grabbing them. Um, I think Baez. I mean, the one thing that worries me about Baez, and, and I know you know um, has talked about this before, um, you know, Saris and, and others that one of the skill sets that doesn't age gracefully are hackers. You know, guys that swing at a bunch of pitches outside the zone and and Baez, but I think he's still what is he twenty eight something like that. Um, let me just check, Javi. Yeah, it's actually. Yeah, he's 28. Yeah, he's early 28, so he's not even he's not even that old. I mean, theoretically, he's entering his prime right now. So I think still think it's too early. I just think it was bad luck. You know, we talked about like the video and stuff like that. It's so hard to actually incorporate that into your analysis because it's it's hard it's hard it's hard to know. He talked about that being a struggle. I just don't see him hitting you know under like 250 again. He's still got the batted ball quality. He, he showed that again last year. He steals bases. The Cubs may even be in a position where they need to generate more. He's going to be a free agent as well. He may even get traded here in a little bit. I mentioned this, I think, the last time we talked, but wouldn't you love to see him somehow end up with the Reds? You know, um, oh, God, in that, in that ballpark with the way he hits it. It'll never um, happen with those two teams. But that'd Oh, be man. Yeah, it would be pretty sweet. But, um, yeah, so, so I think he's great. I think he's a – I think he's a 25-15, 25-10 guy. Um, it's just a question of where that batting average is going to end up, which I think will really dictate where that value is. I like Glaber as well. I have him, I think, on, on three or four teams just because he he seems to be a guy who falls. Um, you know, Glaber, he had a rough beginning of this year, but other than that, he's always mashed. He mashed in the playoffs. Like, he was injured. I, have, I see no reason why he won't mash, and he'll be in a really good lineup, uh, in a really good division to hit. Uh, I see no reason why not to be interested in with him. And he's not a zero in speed either. He's projected, I think, for six stolen bases, which is not a lot from the shortstop position, but it's not nothing. You know, it's not a Seager uh, or something like that. So I think I think it's I think drafting him where he's going is is totally fine. I think he he could also take that next step, you know, um, which, you know, just getting that batting average up a little bit and just destroy, you know, because he's, gosh, he's like 24 or 25. He's already got over 1,200 plate appearances in the big leagues. Just really nice. Yeah, he's 24. He turned 24 in December. So super young. And, like, the more, I look, young. The, the more I look into it, it's just <clears throat> I didn't like it last year because he was going way too high in drafts. I wanted nothing to yeah. do with it. But now it's totally. like now he's getting to the point where it's like, okay, this guy's got legit 30 home run upside. 
which when we're talking shortstops at this point and beyond, you're not getting it. And so that that's interesting to me. Pretty good average. I agree it could go even higher potentially. He's going to – not to mention he's hitting for the Yankees, which will never suck because, you know, he's, he, there was a lot of games where he hit six, but then the games were like Sanchez was out or Judge is out. Now he's hitting third. And it's like he's just in this loaded lineup that is, is just going to score tons of runs. So it's intriguing with, with him. I still go Baez here just because it's just my profile for my early picks where I want that steals. And, and yes, Labor could steal some bags. I'm not saying that. But we know Baez is like 10-plus steals for like four straight years before last season with a 21 in the mix there. He's got 23 or more homers in three straight years. The average was great. Like last year is just one of those weird years. I was kind of – I want to write it off for Baez. I can't, you know, just pick and choose who I write off just to satisfy <laughs> my needs. But Why not, been, Baba? I, I kind of have to when it comes to drafting. I have to tell myself these things. But, you know, you look at Baez and you, you said he, he's a video guy. They didn't get the video – there's just little minor things like that, and he was banged up. So I still go Baez here, but I have become much, much more okay with Torres if for some reason Baez goes early and Torres is there. I don't want to go past this part without a shortstop, though. I want at least one shortstop before this. Like I still like Dansby, Tommy Edmonds there like we talked about. There's guys that we're going to talk about. Simeon's there. He's like one of the exceptions. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um but if I if I want to leave the draft with a, a quote unquote elite shortstop, I want one before the Torres Baez. Like I don't I don't want to pass them without one. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the range where I I maybe we talked about it a few weeks ago when someone asked when do you reach in a draft. It's one of those where I I have my my pick we talked about in draft champions. Like I have my my queue. I'll have a few from like every position. There's like I see where they're disappearing and stuff. And then I'll start – if I see, like, hey, those two are left and I'm, I'm on deck and then I don't have another pick for, like, 10 picks, I'm taking one of those two guys. Like, that's just how it's going to go in my draft room. So that's uh, that's how I view those two come draft day. Bubba, I'm, Bubba, I'm on the clock. What do you got? My, my draft champions, yeah. Um, man. What round? I am in – Round twelve. I can't. I can't really talk about my picks though because <laughs> I know there are some listeners in okay. our draft, no and problem. I need to be thoughtful about how we do this. So then, then you should pick after the podcast, and it'll take all the time up, so they can't. Oh, I'm it. just gonna burn it, burn the <laughs> clock, and rub it in everybody's faces. No, I cannot. I cannot do that. I do not believe in that. Um, I do not believe in that. That's so funny. This is live, people. This is what goes through Toby's head when he's trying to make a pick in round 12. Can you imagine a draft champion when he's around around 46? It gets real fun. Real fun. He's sweating it this much, everybody. I drafted. I drafted. Okay, here we go. All right, we'll we'll talk about that one later. (laughs) Pick with, with one pick one six seventy four in round twelve of the current DC. Toby game on goes with Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah, the Kutch. Love the it. Kutch. Big Can't fan go wrong of with the Kutch, man. Not when he's wearing I mean, the gold it's, chain. It's, it's up. It's ahead of his ADP by I think like twenty picks, but I have no they, problem with that. No, well, I mean, he's like he's one hundred fifty second on my sheet. Yeah. So, and I mean, the thing is, I mean, every day lead off in that lineup, 
restricted you know, he, year. He stole bases at a decent clip last yeah, year. We talked about him. Now. So you listen to it. We're yeah. both we both love McCutcheon. Yes, I have a really lot of McCutcheon shares. You don't have now, to convince me at all. You're right. And if the next guy comes to me, then we'll throw a celebration. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds okay. good. Cool. Uh, the next set of shortstops we're going to talk about real quick is uh, Carlos Correa, pick one twenty six. Then your boy Marcus Simeon, who you've really opened my eyes to since we did the shortstop preview before, and he's still going too late. He's gone as high as 101. So since he's become a Toronto Blue Jay, he's moving up the board, we should say. And you mentioned the second base eligibility, which could be very, very nice. So between Correa and Simeon, I'm pretty sure you're going Simeon. But what's your thoughts overall? Oh, hell yeah, I'm going Simeon. Are you (laughs) kidding me? What is there to debate about this? I mean, um, all right, let's see. Carlos Correa. How many times has he hit higher than 279? Oh, yeah. Here we go. One. Here we go. How many times has he hit 25 home runs? Zero. How many times has he gotten 83 runs? Zero. How many times has he gotten 97 RBI? Zero. When was the last time he stole more than three bases? 2016. No interest whatsoever in Carlos Correa. It's amazing. The reason why I did it, though, is there are a lot of people that are interested in Carlos Correa. Like, I, I see it everywhere, and I'm, I scratch my head thinking, why take that risk when you can take other risks at a different time? I just I can't. I don't know. I, I don't it just know. doesn't make sense because I think the upside is so limited. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if he – Hasn't really, you know, he's had one good one year with a really good batting average. Yep. He's projected for what? What's his projection for? Like two fifties, like, two sixty ish. Yeah, two sixty ish. You know, he's not going to steal at all. <laughs> this is your shortstop position, right? So by not getting a guy who steals in your in your shortstop position here, which is fine. You know, you have to figure out where you're getting your stolen bases from elsewhere. So I'm just not interested. He's Corey Seager without a batting average. And without like Corey <laughs> Seager's Statcast data, which is like yeah. insane, right? Yeah, it's bad. It's I mean, bad. let's look at it. Let's look at Carlos Cras or Carlos Correa. So um, Correa, you know, his exit velocity, average exit velocity, which again is in the end all be all, you know, eight point six percent or eighty eight point six miles per hour. So maybe like right around league average is max max exit velo. You know, the highest over the last four years is 112.8. He's had a barrel rate above 10% once uh, in the last, in his entire career. Yeah, there's just nothing. We're still, we're still thinking of Carlos Fred and number one pick, you know, we're still thinking of, we're still dreaming back on that rookie season. Yeah, and that's definitely not there. And you got to wonder, the Astros still have a Tuve and Jordan and, you know, your boy Tucker and some others, but it just doesn't feel like the same team as before either. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plans out. When you look at even his pitch leaderboard, he had a 5.9% barrel rate and a 6.3% deserved. So that's not bad. He is deserved carry. If you look at the, the leaderboard, actually, he kind of underachieved, which is interesting to see. But uh, I'm still with you. It's not going to convince me to uh, to go the other direction there. Um, the last shortstop comparison we have here, Didi Gregorius, pick 169, and then Hong Sung Kim at 190. It's a big gap, but Kim's gone as high as 118, Didi as high as 132. So some people love Kim. They're all in. Uh, I think I don't even think Kim was signed yet when we talked about the shortstops earlier. 
So where do you go here? Like DD, people say is just kind of falling off the face of the planet, so it's tough. And then there's Kim. Maybe there's playing time concerns. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, I have no interest in Kim at this point in time. Like initially, when I saw the first projection on him, I was like, "Darn, that's like really good. This is going to work out really well." And then they subsequently signed um, Jurics and Profar, you know. And so now they have Cronenworth, they have Profar, they have Kim. There's just a lot of mouths to feed in that infield and in that lineup generally. Now that they don't have the DH either, I mean. I just see them again being a team that's going to dodger it up in the sense that they're a really good team. Yes, they're going to need to compete with the Dodgers for the division, and that will be um, that will obviously be very important. Um, but at the same time, I, I still think the Dodgers are just head and shoulders, you know, the best team. And so I can just see a situation where they're really mixing and matching from day to day, giving guys, you know, a day or two off, like you know, who aren't like the core, core team, um, you know, every week just to maximize those matchups, you know, even if they start moving them out, you know, to get the right matchup in later innings, I just, I'm really staying away from the Padres generally. I mean, I have very few players on the Padres um, right now on, on any teams, really, actually, I, I may have like Tommy Pham on a couple teams and that might be it for Dodger for Padres hitters. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, it's going to be tough because the Padres are they're, they're going to be that team that's like really really good in real life, but um, fantasy wise, they're going to cause a lot of headaches outside of like you said the Tatis, the Machados, maybe the Fams. Grisham should be okay, but there's like a slew of them that are going to be like eh, tough to roster, or they're going too high in drafts. So it just makes it complicated to take them. I don't want anything to do with Kim. The projections looking at him right now, it's like, ooh, that is not what we signed up for. So that's quite interesting. So, yeah, I, I'll take a chance on Didi, but there's guys coming up here that are after pick 200 that I'd much rather go for. Like Paul DeYoung, I'd even take over Didi at pick 211. Um, Ahmed is intriguing if things keep going where he's going to get playing time. A couple others, and I'll give you the floor on this. Willie Adamas always has my attention as an option. Um Elvis Andrus, now he's starting every day at, short, at shortstop, likely for the A's, is insanely intriguing to me. And then Freddie Galvis, just because he'll play every day, I like quite a bit. Uh, who are you looking at after pick 200? Yeah, and one thing we got off on the Padres there, I do like Didi Gregorius, actually. I look at him and I'm like, man, he stole bases last year. The pot, yeah. like, like the Phillies kind of steal bases. Like, yes, they, they stole do. bases last year. Um, you know, he's back in that that stadium, which is great for left-handed hitters for power, exactly what his swing is. He still makes great contact. So I think he's all around solid. I've actually, I think, under underplayed him. I don't I haven't drafted him at all, but he's definitely somebody who's interesting me where he's going. I think you mentioned a bunch of really nice um shortstops there. I'll try not to repeat. Um so um did you mention Rojas, Miguel Rojas? No, that's your boy. I left him alone for you. Yeah, Miguel Rojas is a guy that I like as a as as a middle infielder. Like the home runs worry me, the power worries me, but I think he plays every day. He may hit towards the top of that lineup, um, and you know he you know he's like a ten ten guy with a close to three hundred batting average, and I think that plays at middle infield, especially if you maybe balance him out with more of a power profile in that middle infield slot, if you can do that. 
Um, so he's a guy that I like a lot. JP Crawford, um, I really like a lot. Um, you know, probably leading off, great OBP, tons of plate appearances. The power is lacking, but the speed is there. He was on pace to score about 90 to 100 runs last year. Um, really like him a lot. I mentioned Urias is a guy who's growing on me a little bit. I mean, you know, Iglesias, you mentioned Andrews. Uh, some of the guys down here, um, trying to think of guys that maybe were a little bit interesting to me here. There aren't really, I mean, I think you mentioned a lot of them. One guy who's interesting to kind of just keep an eye on is Kevin Newman. You know, just because the Pirates have, get they have nothing, right? They got nothing. And so what's stopping them from playing him at, at, at shortstop? And last year you were paying like a, two, a ADP of 200 for Newman. Now you're paying like whatever it is, 400, 450. I, I should have just looked at it. What, what is it? Am I right in that? Yeah, 455 right now. I think it's going up because people kind of sense like, oh, yeah. wow, we could be a little, a little bit like, you know, we could get some plate appearances here. So him, uh, you know, a real deep guy like Eric Gonzalez, another Pirates guy who showed decent stuff last year. But if he gets a bunch of plate appearances, is at least a guy who's going to get a bunch of plate appearances. That's more for DCs, though. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of shortstop guys late. Um, one guy that I'm not that into, though, is Andrelton Simmons. Um, I know people are going to be into him, but, you know, he just doesn't hit for enough power, especially with the ball being deadened. He doesn't steal enough bases. The batting average is there, but I just think it's going to be really light. It's going to be a really light profile, and he's going to get pushed up, you know, so. I like the J.P. Crawford call. It's another guy that I seem to be grabbing lately in uh, drafting holds and everything pretty late to stash away type guy. So I like that one quite a bit. All right, let's go to the listener question portion of the show. Our buddy MS at SMMS79 asks, changes in Wong's cost since he landed with Milwaukee. We talked about that already. How far do, how far do you fade Jonathan VR now that he's landed in New York versus Cincinnati? I will not draft him at all. What about you? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't draft him at all. I mean, if he falls far enough, sure, but you're really hoping for an injury now because unless it's a daily league. If it's a daily league, then maybe there's a little bit more value because mm-hmm. then you can kind of plug him in when he plays. Um, there's just such a limited range of leagues that he has value in now because he's like sucks at OBP. You know, he so pretty much you're looking at a daily batting average league would be the only place that I'd really be interested in adding him right now. Yeah, dailies, that's that's a good point. I can see the validity there. Um, he's gone as low as 237 over the last three weeks. That probably happened the last week or so. He becomes, I guess, a little more interesting if you're doing a certain roster construction, but still probably a guy I'm not going to do too much with. He's also old. I mean, he's old yeah. now, right? He's like yeah. 32 or something. And compared to these other guys. Like, like for instance, Jonathan Villar is going right before Andres Jimenez. I'd rather gamble on Jimenez like you talked about earlier. So it's, it's interesting there. Oh, I guess, um, he's just, I guess he's just 29, almost 30. He'll be about 30 when the season starts. But, yeah. Uh, do, do, do. Um, he also says, um, like, wow, uh, Guriel is second base eligible. I'm, I'm sure this is Lourdes um, in Yahoo for 21. Interesting target for me. Yeah, I'd be targeting him there because that's right. We should mention this real briefly. I don't know if you've seen it at all, but um, if anybody plays fantasy baseball on Yahoo this year, all the positional um, like standings for like who, what position guys are at is based off of 2019, nothing that took place last year. So, oh, really? Oh, yeah. So you're going to get guys like Flat. He's already got third base. 
Um, there's a weird. yeah, so that's why you said Guriel because when Guriel first came up with the Jays that year, he was playing middle infield for him. Yeah, so that's something to think about, folks. It's like I, I apologize now if we don't cover it the way you're going to draft in Yahoo this year because it's the only place doing it that way. So if you have it's like that specific question, we can help you out. But yeah, Guriel at second base, you a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that's great. I'm trying to think of. Um... Trying to think of a good comp for him just based on his projections. Marcus Simeon, uh, maybe better. Hobby yeah, Baez. Simeon is actually a pretty good comp. I mean, Guriel has a bet, higher batting average. You know, who's actually a decent comp. I mean, Tim Altuve, Altuve is another good comp for him at yeah. second. Um, I mean, he's up there. I mean, I definitely. He's a top 10 second baseman easily for me. For sure. Like yeah, in reality. Yeah, I think he goes up. I think he's going what, like in the 80s right now? Overall, I'd, I'd yeah. say he goes 60 to 70 ADP. Like, like in reality, if you, like, I know we're talking Yahoo here, but just looking at the NFBC in front of me here, I'd have him like with Keston Hira or higher. If you look at just overall stuff, like, I don't know. That's me. I'm a big Guriel fan, but. I love what he brings across the board. It, it's pretty strong for second base. So interesting question there. Uh, our buddy Dave Petros yellow asks, I've done two drafts and in both, they're both 15s. I found myself waiting on shortstop and first base. It's not that I don't like the top guys at those positions. It's that I like others at other positions more in two drafts. I have Christian Walker and Hosmer as my first baseman and Gregorius and Correa as my shortstop. Is that a winning strategy? Additionally, while I love that Gregorius went back to Philly, I feel he might be one of the guys most adversely affected by the dead in baseball. Um, well, Correa's on there, so that answers one question. Um, so what's what's your thoughts on that, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think – I think, again, I think, you know, I don't think you need to have an elite shortstop to be successful. It's just a matter of who you've gotten instead of your elite shortstops, right? Because – everybody's going to leave that draft with a weakness. So maybe you're behind the eight ball or behind your league mates on shortstop, you know, and what the shortstops are going to provide, but are you ahead of them on other positions, right? Do you have a more dominant third baseman, second baseman, first baseman um, and whatnot? I mean, with Gregorius and um, I'm not as worried about Gregorius. So his max exit below last year was lower, but in 19, it was 110.8. Right. So he had a really nice, a decent max exit velo. He pulls the ball just like Biggio does, but he's been effective at doing it in pretty much every single place that he plays. And he plays in the best places to do that. Yeah, so Yankee not- Stadium to Philadelphia, that yeah. it, it, it suits him beautifully. For sure. And so, yeah, like his his home run spray chart is great. It's just like all, it's like all one direction. <laughs> yeah. Um, it- so I'm not too worried about it. And he also has some speed, you know, uh, Gregorius, which I think he stole five stolen bases and hit 10 home runs last year, which I was amazed at. With like a 280 batting average, I was like, okay. Um, so I think Gregorius is fine. Yeah, we talked about Correa. So I just think, you know, again, like it's fine to be soft in areas. We're all going to have weaknesses when we leave our drafts. It's just a matter of where. That's why I think, I mean, and again, like not to harp on it, but this is why I like taking my entire team's projections and looking at it, right? Because it gives you a sense of yeah. how how your whole team stacks up. Because I think 
our brains are designed to just hone in on each one of the players. And do I like this player? Do I not like this player? Do I like this, you know, go through that and identify them like that. But looking at your team in aggregate gives you a sense of where your strengths and weaknesses are. And if you put together a team that has, you know, kind of back, back end shortstops, but still looks like a good team overall, it means you've constructed a really, really good team. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's fine, Dave. Yeah, it's fine. Like you said, you might be soft in certain spots as long as you're stronger than others, you'll be fine. It's not the way I would do it, but you'd be fine. Just draft um, two, two catchers really high up. There you go. Dave. I don't know the, this person's name cause you sent me the screenshot without their name on it, but oh, um, yeah. Well, whenever people DM me questions, I just never know whether yeah. they didn't respond to the thread because they didn't gotcha. want to have their name mentioned or something like that. So, Okay. Well, the question is, would like to hear about Glaber Torres and if you guys are confident on a bounce back. This year is key for him and the Yankees to trust him long term. I think we both kind of feel we're cool with him. Yeah. Yeah. We feel good. about. I feel good about Glaber. Yeah. And if you're if you listen to last year, you'd know that's a big change for me. So you're good there. Uh, Greg Schumann asks, second catcher, who are you rolling with in a six by six OBP league? Jan Gomes, Tom Murphy, Stassi or Heim? I'm going to roll with Stassi, but maybe Gomes. Who would you roll with? Yeah, I'm going to roll with um, I'm going to roll with Stassi. Just thinking about the names, um, I'm I'm very curious about the love for Jonah Heim since he was traded. Yeah, I don't know why that all of a sudden. I seem to think that he's going to be the starting catcher there. Yeah, and I don't I don't see that. I mean, Trevino. Was, was good, good last, last year, and he's still young, and he has a very similar skill set to Heim, but better. Like hits for some actual power. Um, so yeah, I'm not into the Heim. Let me just see something. I know Stassi. I think Stassi has a good OBP. That's the only question I have because I'm normally thinking through the batting average lens. So yeah, 10.5 percent walk rate, career nine percent. I know Gomes always has a garbage average, yeah. but let's see. Yeah, 5.7% walk rate. Yeah, so I'd definitely be on the Stasi train, I think. Guys, who I'd be the, the, the other thing I want to mention with the, the Heim situation is Trevino's really good. And I know I keep saying the fantasy 15, but it's super interesting news. Basically, the, the beat reporter, Levi Weaver from The Athletic, he basically said – there's no reason why Trevino wouldn't be the guy. He hit like cleanup for them last year. Like, why would that change? And secondly, there is a lot of buzz around Huff, the young kid. He's going to start in the minor, the minors, but he's really close. And they said basically, once they bring him up, it's his job to lose. So hmm. out, of, out of that whole conversation I heard there, Heim was never once an option to be an everyday catcher. So that's, I, I don't understand the buzz either. That's just why I wanted to bring that two cents in there. When I heard that, I was like, Hmm, so I do like Trevino, and I'm I like not a big, a lot too. but I'm not a big Huff guy. So maybe I just ride Trevino until Huff comes. I don't know. Maybe Huff doesn't come. Yeah, I'm not a Huff guy, so I don't know. Well, we'll wait and see on that one. Um, at a Greaky asks, what two middle infielders would you say you have the most shares of so far? You have the floor first. Well, I can I can actually answer this. Um, can actually answer this for you um if you give me a second um is the question just like generally or of guys who are like actually good uh, it's just generally 
Who okay. is, yeah, there's no specification there at all. Okay, so I'll give you a little bit of each. So player shares in NFBC. I've done 12 leagues. Oh, why, why are you giving me this? Player shares, not player stats. Okay. So, da, 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 da. my most owned middle reliever is Starlin Castro. I have him in six out of my. Do I just have 11 leagues? Maybe. Oh, I, I'm drafting my 12th right now. Uh, Starlin Castro, I have in six leagues. Miguel Rojas I have in four. So one thing I think you're noticing is already that the guys that I have a lot of a lot of that I have on a bunch of teams are um are, are kind of later guys. And then I have Semyon on four teams, five with my with my new one. And then I'll do one more. Glaber. I have Glaber on four teams. So those are the middle infielders that I have the most of right now. Um, off the top of my head, it's uh, Joey Wendell. I know I have a lot of Tommy Edmond. I have a lot of um, Javi Baez. I have a lot of. I'd say those off the top of my head would be my three that I I know between Fantrax best balls and draft and holds and then stuff on NFC fifties and draft champions. I have a ton of those those three guys for sure. There's no no doubt about that. So we're gonna sink or swim with uh, Javi Baez this year. Sounds so much. I got to start diversifying quickly. Um, next question, Billy B from Canada asks, is Hira going to be good or what? I say yes. Um, is Hira going to be good or what? Um, I'm not like super convinced on the batting average, but I think he's got power and, and speed and they're clearly, I think they'll clearly make a, um, uh, you know, they're clearly going to give him a chance to play every single day. So I, I think he'll be fine. And he um, also... Oh, sorry. Continue. Oh, I'm just going to say somebody just mentioned online that they asked a question under the video. And so I just want to make sure that we don't miss that. Miss that. Okay. One. I'll check that one when we're done here. Um, Billy B also said, make sure you talk about Bichette. Yeah, we did that. Um, we, we got plenty of that. You don't have to ever worry about that with me on a shortstop podcast. You're good there. Um, Craig Schumann has another question for us. With San Diego signing everyone available, what are your expectations for Hale Sun Kim? We kind of talked about that. But then Cronenworth and Profar, can Kim still get 450 to 500 at-bats? We don't think so. Uh, projection systems seem to have Cronenworth, Profar, more at-bats. So I guess in the grand scheme of it, between those three, how would you prioritize them? Uh, Kim, Cronenworth, Kim, Con- Kim Cronenworth, and Profar are the three. Yeah. I mean, these questions are so hard to me because I have no interest in any of them. Literally, I have zero of all of them on any of my teams. Um, just straight up, not a value question. Yep, just straight up. Straight up, I probably like Cronenworth the most, just because he's got the so many, so much eligibility, and the profile is really nice. I think overall, um, Kim probably last, just because I think there's the most uncertainty, and Profar in the middle probably. The one thing that I would say about Profar, he's close with Cronenworth. Just because, you know, he's a 2010 guy, potentially, if he plays enough. And he's got second and outfield. So they can move him into the outfield. He's got that little bit of flexibility. And maybe Kim does, too. We just haven't seen it. So it's like, you know, the error bars on Kim are wider. Maybe the ceiling's higher than these other guys we know a little bit more about. Um, 
but I'd rather go for kind of maybe the more known and the guys that seem like they might get more playing time. I, and, and Kim's always got that transition to major league pitching, which could be interesting as well. So I'm with you, Cronenworth pro far, Kim, for me. Um, I'm still a Cronenworth believer. It's just I would have had like all the Cronenworth shares before these two moves. Now I have to kind of sit back a little bit there. Uh, the question under the video was Richard Sands, a uh, frequent listener of the show, great listener, great follower hey, of the show. Um, he says, in a DC-type league, would you ever take a multi-position eligible player before someone you actually like better and have ranked higher. Example, I took Tommy Edmond instead of Marcus Simeon because Edmond slotted in at second, short, third, and outfield, even though I really prefer Simeon, but I did hesitate. So it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Like It's a very good question, especially, like you mentioned, the D.C. draft and holds where as the year goes on, injuries happen, that flexibility is pretty darn important. How You do a ton of D.C.s. Like you said, you're in 11. You're 12th one right now. So how do you approach that? Um, I do. I mean, I think there's a variety of different filters. You kind of think of your picks in depending on where you are in the draft. I mean, there's obviously guys you like more or less, but with their, when they're within like a a fairly close range, I mean, really, you know, if you get a guys that are maybe a couple dollars, you know, difference between their values that that can be swung by a home run or two, right. Or a stolen base or two. And so they're pretty similar players. So in those particular instances, I may go with a guy with multi-position eligibility in that position. You know, it depends on what my categorical needs are and which which one is met more by that guy. If my categorical needs and who I like more is if those two line up, then I'm less likely that I probably won't grab the guy with multi-position eligibility just just to grab the multi-position eligibility at least. And it, and it also it depends on where in the draft you are too, though, because you know if you're later on in the draft, then you know it's not as big of a deal. But you you probably have like maybe a little bit firmer idea earlier on in the draft of the guys that you're maybe higher on or or whatnot, or maybe that's actually opposite. I don't know, but in either case, yes, I can definitely see that happening. The example that you gave, Richard, I think is a is a really good one where I think Edmund is super valuable in those DCs because of that multi position eligibility. And yeah, you're losing about 10 home runs, gaining probably some speed, similar batting average, um, maybe losing some RBIs by giving up Semyon. But those are things that you can get later on. You know, you can you can make up for them later on. So I, I don't mind that at all. Yeah, no, I completely agree with Toby. I think it's a it's a good comparison and a good scenario because I know I grabbed uh, Edmund. Like I said I own him in a lot of leagues, and I in the battle of the pods, I did it, I did it purposely for the position eligibility. Like that was a, a major focus of mine. So I think that's a very, very intriguing question and a very good question to have there. So I, I don't think it's a problem, especially in a DC. Like if it was a, a standard redraft league with fab, I'd probably go Simeon because you, you're in a different scenario like Toby mentioned. But in a, in a draft and hold, that eligibility will come in very, very handy throughout the season. And you like Toby also said, is you can, you'll know ahead of time if your team's okay. Like you might not need the steals. So you might be okay or you can fix that later. So those are things you can you can focus on. So I, I like that. It was a very, very good question. Um, and that is our last question of the evening. So final thoughts, we, Toby. We did get one question um, just now, which oh, is yeah, no, which no. second baseman gets the most plate appearances who's not DJ LeMayhew? Um, if, if you were to go by projections, it's actually a really good question because you look at the list and you're kind of like, of guys here but um 
So uh, Aussie Albies is on top of the projection systems belief. But again, you know, that's if he bats second. You know, there is some thought that he'll bat later on in the lineup as well. I find that so hard that they wouldn't bat him second. I really and they do. They batted him toward, you know, fifth and sixth, I think, during the season. But yeah, I think he ends up there. There's also Altuve, who's likely going to be the new leadoff he hitter. He should for get the a Astros. ton. Yep. Should get a ton, but again, he's got like the injury issues. Um, I mean, one guy to consider who's not a second baseman yet, who we've talked extensively about, um, is Semyon. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Blue Jays handle him, but the A's let him play every single day. Remember, he played 162 games in 2019. Yeah, like over now, 700 at bats or something like that. 750 yeah, 723 at-bats. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he could bat he could bat second, right? Springer, Semyon, something like that, and he could get a ton of plate appearances there. But it's a really good question because there aren't a lot of second basemen that I think at this point in time are are kind of top of the lineup type guys. So I would probably go with Albies. Yeah, it's Albies or Altuve, and that's even I would have thought that probably even before looking at the projections page, just because it makes sense where they're at. And that's why. We emphasize players like a Colton Wong, like a Cesar Hernandez later in drafts because they're leading off. And it's just those little those little intricacies if you have to, you know, pick between two players, that makes a difference at that point in the draft. So yeah, that's a that's a good question because second base is not a popular top of the order spot, as you mentioned. So definitely on par there. All right. Final thoughts, middle infielders review. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot very different positions, second base and shortstop. But I think they both, you know, second base, I felt like it wasn't that deep earlier on in the draft season. But as guys have signed and there's been a little bit more clarity, I now think that it's it, it is uh, decently deep. Um, so I think there's a lot of flexibility within the position too to be able to meet a variety of different needs that you have for your team, whether it's power, whether it's speed, whether it's batting average. No, I do think that speed and batting average dry up pretty – maybe at least speed dries up pretty quick in second base, yeah. I want to say, but it is available later on in, in, in shortstop. So really interesting position, really interesting conversation. I, I dig this I dig this Friday night uh, podcast, Bubba. It was, it was fun. I think I have a little bit more energy than I normally do on like a Tuesday night looking at the next three days ahead of us. So um, a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, very interesting positions. Yeah. Very interesting. Second base. I agree. Uh, it's much, much deeper than I, I would have originally thought, uh, before draft season. So it makes me feel a little more comfortable where at first, I think even when we did the review, it's like, okay, you got to kind of get a guy early, but now the more you look at it, you still don't want to like have to trust one of the late guys, but you can survive with one of the late guys and be, feel much better about it. Where at shortstop. I don't know if I want like super late. Like there's like the the Youngs and some guys we talked about, but they're not as as good to me as the second base late guys. So it's a weird a weird scenario at the positions. But yeah, we'll see uh, how it breaks down. And next week we'll we'll talk outfielders and uh, all the goodness there. There's some new faces in new places like George Springer and company. So that'll be a lot of fun. But for now, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick. The podcast Bubba and the Batflip episode seventy in the books. Catch you guys later.